0: This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 76.
1: You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from biggerpockets.com, your home for real estate
2: investing online.
0: What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host. To the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, the man in the spectacles, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's up, Brandon?
3: Hey, what's up? Yeah, most people probably don't know I wear glasses because my profile picture doesn't have me with glasses, but I do. Well, you're physically weak. <laughs> <laughs> Funny guy. Hey, Superman wears glasses. Come on.
0: No, Clark Kent wears glasses. Okay, well, whatever.
3: All right, yeah. I don't. I don't subscribe to that nerdy magazine, <laughs> comic book world that you do.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's going on man how are you what's good? what's what's been doing
3: i'm good i'll tell you something interesting uh we, you know we recorded this interview with our guest today earlier today and we're just doing our introduction now and one of the things on the show uh actually encouraged me i made a call to my local property management company today and i have a meeting with them set so uh yeah there's nice. some good stuff in the show i think that i mean it rocked me to go and actually make a phone call and hopefully going to transition uh, make some big changes here in the next couple of weeks
0: Oh, we'll see. So nice. Well, yeah, that's great, man. That's great. Listen, if we can spark, uh, if we can spark action for you, hopefully we could spark action for the other tens of thousands of listeners per show that we have. So that's go. fabulous, man. Very exciting. Very exciting. Well, we do have an awesome show. Before we uh, get into it, let's do today's quick tip. Quick tip. All right, so today's quick tip guys is make sure you have some kind of professional photograph of yourself. I'm not talking about going down to the studio. I'm talking about having somebody take a nice professional headshot that you can use on BiggerPockets, Facebook, LinkedIn, your uh, your social networks. You, you know, when people are looking you up, first of all, you want to use the same picture across all your networks so it's easier for folks to better recognize you. But especially as it pertains to pockets. When you're networking, when you're out on the forums interacting, people really tend to look up other folks who have a profile way before they're going to look up somebody who doesn't have a profile pic. And uh, you know, be- beyond that, we actually also have stuff in our algorithms where if you've got a profile, you're going to probably uh, profile picture you're going to come up uh, sooner and higher than somebody who does not. So, having a profile pic is definitely advantageous. And it just helps people to better relate to you. So we definitely encourage you to do that If you' got a picture of a skyscraper, a dog, you kissing a goat, whatever it is that you've got, you know, get rid of it, put up a picture of your face, even if you look like Brandon. and
3: <laughs> I think that applies even. I mean, like if you're talking in Facebook, g plus LinkedIn's, whatever, I mean, yeah, it's a picture of you like drinking like I don't know, like doing a keg stand. and I don't know there's just like a professionalism thing that. The more you can portray yourself as somebody who's serious and uh, in business, the better it is. The more people are going to be attracted to giving you funding or deals. I mean, don't think that people don't check you out. Like We check our tenants out on Facebook. You can be assured that anybody considering you as a partner or a lender or to fund you or whatever, they're going to check out your social media. So make sure it reflects that.
0: There you go. And that is today's Quick Tip brought to you by Josh and Brandon. There you go. Yeah, yeah. By the way, this is Show seventy six of the Bigger Pockets podcast. If you have not yet done so, please, 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 please jump on iTunes and uh, look us up. Look, up, actually, we got a link on uh, the Bigger Pockets podcast at biggerpockets.com slash podcast, which will point you right to our iTunes page. And uh, if you haven't already, please leave us a review, leave us some ratings, a rating and a review. Uh, let people know what you think. It definitely helps us spread the word. We do appreciate it very much. Today's show is with Brian Burke. If you think that name's familiar, well, it's because you probably listened to show number three of the Bigger Pockets podcast. Uh, Brian is our third repeat guest on the podcast now, and he's an extremely successful house flipper and real estate investor from Northern California. Who's got really a great story, a zero to hero type of story and and he's got an outstanding business model. Since we already know a lot about how he got to start from from show three, we're gonna cover something totally different today. Uh, we're gonna really dig in into how he scales his business. And, and uh, so there's really a lot of great tips here for everybody. This, this show is designed for sophisticated investors who've been around the block and those people who are just getting started. So I strongly encourage everybody to focus and pay attention. And uh, that's really all I got. Got anything you want to add?
3: Yeah, Brian is like my hero. So you guys are going to love this episode. He'll be your
4: hero oh, too. Oh, so cute. <laughs> so nice.
2: Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com/slash host. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high-net-worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR capital management. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com
1: today.
0: All right. Well, this is going to be an awesome show. Let's get him on here. Brian Burke, welcome to the show, man. Good to have you.
1: Hey, man. Great to be back. I appreciate it. Uh, It's been a while. Thanks, guys. It has been a while. Yeah, I think it was uh, over a year ago. You were,
3: I think you were, what, number two or three on the show. So um, I'm sure a lot of things have changed. And that's what we, why don't we actually start with that?
1: Well, you know, I, I actually was number three on the show, and um, you know that that kind of that brings something to mind. You know, <laughs> you guys, you guys kind of start you know throwing questions out, but I, before we get started with all that, I actually have a bone <laughs> to pick with you guys. Oh, so, boy. so I have a Let's question. I want to know what's your obsession with me and the number three? How so? Because yeah, I, how so? I so I was on podcast number three. And now I'm your third full-length repeat guest. I'm never second, ah. never first. I'm always third. <laughs> so I, I just, I can't figure this out. So Ben Labovitch was the first repeat guest. Now on the BP blogs, Ben has publicly declared that Brandon is his girlfriend. So <laughs> that means that that one was just blatant. Yeah, I don't
0: know what's going on there. That's just some weirdness between the two of them. But ben,
1: that, I don't know what's going on there. That was I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Ben, ben, Ben's a character. Ben is well, a I, uh, well, okay, so <laughs> so then second, second repeat podcast is Jay Scott. Now I have no problem getting beat by Jay Scott and taking second <laughs> place to Jay Scott. This guy's got like fifteen million posts on the forum. You're probably gonna name an award after him. <laughs> but here I am, <laughs> I'm number idea. three again. And like most real estate investors, we'll, I'm a to
0: com- we'll create the third award after you. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah. See, that's exactly what's going to happen. But see, I'm, I'm a competitive guy. So here here's what my thought is for today. Since I'm really competitive and I'm too big of a weakling to be competitive in any sport, so real estate's the only game I can win. So I want to make this an epic podcast because I want to be the first guest to be a 3 Pete. Ooh. So what do you think?
0: Okay. Well, you
1: get to keep the obsession with number three and I get to be the first place. It's a win-win, guys. Well, here's what it comes
0: down to, you know. If people turn out and and actually care about what you have to say, then then maybe, maybe we'll think about putting you second instead of third. How does that That's sound? Caring
1: about what I have to say. Well, so much for that. It was fun while it lasted.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, man. We love you.
1: Hey, that we do. well. I do appreciate you guys having me back. It was fun last time, and and hopefully it'll be half as fun this time. <laughs> cool. <laughs>
0: well, well, Brian has – has right now on Brian's show, just so you guys know, Brian's got well over 30,000 listens to uh, his first show, and hopefully with this show we can double that. So you know, listen up, and we'll uh, – We'll see what we can do. So now that you've got all that off your chest and, uh, you know, we now know <laughs> that you've got some kind of inferiority complex with being I do. With, with Ben. Lake, and now that you've told ben. me
1: 30,000 yeah. people are listening. Great. Thanks a lot. Yeah. yeah well, more than little, that. More, more yeah. than that now.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. All right, so <laughs> so let's let's talk about what is it that you do in real estate. And really quick for those people listening to check out uh, Brian's show, just go to biggerpockets.com/show three, and then you can listen to the previous show if you haven't yet heard it. So yeah, what do you what do you do in real estate today? What's your uh, primary primary uh, function um, mm-hmm. focus? You name it.
1: My primary focus is to just make money. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. And it, it, I'm one of these guys that I don't really care how that happens. You know, it could be from uh, buying and flipping single-family houses. It could be flipping multifamily apartment complexes. It could be buying rentals to hold for appreciation. It could be development. I, I've, I've done all of those different things. Of course, my favorite thing to do is to buy foreclosed houses, fix them up, and resell them. I've been doing that for 25 years. I don't know that I'll ever stop. I think it's somewhat of an addiction, but it's been a good business to me. I got into doing multifamily about 14 years ago, and really enjoyed doing that. It's a great way to uh, to make much larger profits with, I think, considerably less effort than than what you put in for flipping houses. Yeah. But uh, those those things are my primary things.
0: Gotcha. And and for those people listening, I mean, you you literally started from nothing. You were a firefighter, right?
1: Yeah, I was a I was a police officer and firefighter at the same time for a public safety department. And uh, I, I had nothing, you know, I was eating macaroni and cheese and living mm-hmm. off of my uh, uh, checking accounts overdraft protection. And when I bought my first <laughs> house using credit cards, so kind of came from from zero and, you know, and just went to uh, a number with a zero behind it.
4: <laughs>
0: nice, nice. And and the goal of this show, you know, we don't really want to rehash the stuff that we've talked about. What we, what we want to do here is get into how you've really started to build this company and scaled it and and gone from you know the the guy who's kind of single-handedly doing a few deals a year to a guy who's got a sophisticated operation who's got a team and who's really making things happen so let, let's talk about that how big is your operation today
1: well team wise uh about uh about 15 people uh, in in core staff and that's employees and um uh, and independent contractors that work for us on a regular basis. In addition to that, of course, you have rehab teams, which are are fully independent, and those cycle through all the time. So not counting uh, the rehab teams, we've grown that large. We were as large as uh, 25 uh, at what I call the peak of my market, which is inverse to the peak of the real estate market. Uh, When the market was at its worst, my business is at its best. And uh, at that point, we got pretty large. Had to scale down as the opportunity scaled down, and you know we went from doing about 120 houses a year down to about 60 houses a year. Uh, so from a, a dollar volume-wise, though, our business has stayed about the same. We're doing more expensive houses and fewer, cheaper houses. So you know, we've, uh, we've got that going for us at least. And hiring now and again when if somebody turns over, but other than that, we, we aren't really expanding uh, at this point. Okay. Well, I think
3: that's an interesting thing. And I never heard anybody phrase it like that before that, that your market is the inverse of the real estate market. It's kind of a cool way of looking at it. So I think you actually mentioned that to me a while ago, I don't know, a week or two ago when we were kind of planning this was, you said at the peak of the market, I was doing X number of deals. And I was thinking 2006. And then you clarified with, no, the peak of the market for me was the bottom. So yeah, kind of a neat way of looking at it. Uh, And I want to maybe touch on that later in the show. We'll talk about like how how to invest in that kind of a market, like as things are getting worse for you as a business wise, how are you adapting to that? But we'll, we'll try to touch on that later, but
0: and re- re- really quick on that but bef- you know I know we'll get into it later but really quick you know it's interesting because i get approached by a lot of people who are always like you know so what's going on with bigger pockets how are things growing you know what's what's happening you know in in the investment market you know things are really hot in the in the consumer market so what's going on for investors and they're like you know how bad did you guys get nailed during during the crash and 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 i say listen you know savvy investors are going to make money whether the market's good you know, or bad, according to the media, right? The market's always good. If you're a smart investor, there's always an opportunity. And, and so I, you know, I just wanted to kind of press upon that to to folks listening, because I think it's important that, you know, stop worrying about chasing markets, worry about learning the skills and strategies to, uh, to learn how to make money in any market.
1: There, There is, you're exactly right. There's always an opportunity and and you nailed it, Josh. It's You can make money in any market, but what you have to do is you have to figure out the strategy that works in the market that you're given. And real estate investing, I've said this a number of times, is like a a stream that meanders through a relatively flat meadow. And the stream bends left and right. And if you're rowing down that stream and you row in a straight line, you're guaranteed you're going to run aground you have to be ready to steer along with the meanderings of the stream. And the real estate investment market's the same way. You've got to look at what's going on in the market and determine what the best strategy is and the best location to implement that strategy given the market cycle.
3: Yeah, I really, really like that analogy a lot. But I do have one question on that. How do you differentiate between that and chasing the shiny objects, right? Like you get into real estate and you're like, well, flipping's really popular right now, so I'm gonna go flip houses. And then this is really popular, I'm gonna go do that. How do you separate What's popular and what's good for your business to be able to navigate those turns? That's an awesome well,
1: question, by the way. Well, well you're you. describing the deal <laughs> addict. Yeah, right. Yeah. Pat him on the back, why don't you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you
0: know, I want him, I want him to feel good about himself.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you do you, do you know want him to stick around for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's um you're you're talking about the deal addicts, right? And there's there's deal addicts out there that will say, you know, there well, I, I want to buy a deal just because I want to buy something. And I used to be like that. I used to be the guy you know, when I was starting out that if there was a deal to somehow be had, I wanted to have it. And after a while, you learn why some deals are really worth passing up. You get your hand slapped a couple times, and you'll quickly find out that just getting an idea in your head that I'm going to do X, Y, or Z, despite what the market is telling you you should or shouldn't be doing, and you just go and do it. That's how you get yourself into trouble.
3: That makes sense. How do I know the market's bending? I mean, how do I know that I shouldn't be flipping now or I should be whatever? How do I know I should turn my business to something a little bit differently?
1: You got to look at what the market is telling you and you've got to be able to read the signs. And one thing that I think I've been good at is interpreting what the, the subtle signals are that are telling you what direction you should take. For example, in 2004, the subtle signals were telling me that the market in California was due to have some kind of cataclysmic collapse. And I I didn't predict that it was going to be as deep as it was, but I knew that something wasn't right. And it's intuitive. And you just have to be able to read the signals and just pay attention to what's going on around you. For example, if uh if guys that are in, you know, like mid-level jobs or even low-wage jobs. Are out buying million dollar houses using loans that have negative amortization, floating interest rates, and, you know, and and, yeah, no income qualification. And you start seeing this happen, you know that there's a risk of collapse coming. And when you see it happen in mass, you know that risk is even greater. Uh, When you start to see the bubble mentality, look at stocks in 2000. What happened in 2000 with tech stocks? all of the inexperienced people who had no idea what they were doing were dumping their money into tech stocks in 2000. As soon as they stopped doing that, you have market collapse. Same thing with real estate. Inexperienced people who weren't reading the market were jumping in left and right and saying, I've got to buy a rental house. I know that the rents are 1500 a month and the purchase price is 500 but I've got to buy one or I'll never get another chance. And you start to just in the back of your mind, you think this isn't right, and that's the first warning sign. Other things to look for is, is the actual statistics and demographic information that's out there, like job growth, income growth, vacancy rates, new home construction. You have to look at all of these different things and couple that with what your intuition is telling you and know that sometimes you just have to follow your gut, and, and you, but you use the data to help guide your gut. Well, yeah. so
3: what is your maybe I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but what does your gut tell you about today's market? Like, what are you what are you anticipating? Our market's local, Brandon.
1: Uh, yeah, I was they just are. gonna. I was just gonna. I, say I mean, what just market? calling
3: you out here, you know. No, you're right. So, okay, so what is the market telling you about Northern California right now? That's where you're at, right? North of San Francisco, ways.
1: Yeah, I'm in the North Bay in San Francisco, and what my market is telling me right now is that there is a shortage of housing. There is uh, significant restrictions to new home development, both economically and uh, and governmental, that make it hard to add to the housing stock at today's price levels, meaning that even though home affordability is, is uh, on the decline, uh, inventory is low and prices are rising and are likely to continue to rise, despite the fact that incomes aren't uh... don't have the same forecast i don't know that income growth is going to keep pace but we have the silicon valley where you have pressure from very high wage jobs that are forcing a ripple effect of uh... of home prices and rent increases uh... coming from uh... from that region so that's our market specifically your market brandon and yours josh and everybody else who's listening those markets are all impacted by different forces and it's hard to say what's going on in the market because there really isn't a the market for real estate every real estate market is stands on its own so what you have to look at is if you're going to look at in your own backyard look at your own demographics look at what's going on read the newspaper if you're looking at somebody else's backyard go learn about it and find out so you know as as a real estate investor in northern california who wanted to buy multifamily apartments four years ago, I said that strategy isn't going to work here, but it works in Texas. And so I started buying in Texas. It's just a matter of looking where you need to find, uh, where you're going to find uh, opportunity.
0: Good stuff.
3: Yeah. Good stuff. That's cool.
0: Right on. Well, well, let's bring it back to to you a little bit, you know, instead of the prognostication type (laughs) questions here. Um, So, so when you first started out as a company, how many people did you have? Obviously you had you, but how how did you um, how did you build it? You know, who were the first people that you brought on? I mean, were 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 they working out of your house? You know, how had you kind of kick up the operation, so to speak?
1: At at first I was the chief cook and bottle washer. I did everything. You know, I <laughs> I the one thing I never did do was pound nails. I'm not good at construction. If you give me some power tools, I can certainly make a mess, uh, <laughs> but I can't do anything constructive. I'm not Brandon. I can't get on the side of the house and fix the siding. And
3: uh, <laughs> Or ben, ben built a shed last
1: week. Yeah, ben that, built that a shed, yeah. I mean, still come blowing on, building, my mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. When the first gust of wind comes along, I want to see if <laughs> that shed is still standing, but – uh, oh, by I, the way, for those people
3: who don't know what I'm talking about, I will link to that post where Ben talks about him building a shed. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 76. But anyway.
1: Yeah, but anyway, I would never even try to build a shed because I know it would fall down in the first gust of wind. <laughs> so, so I did everything myself. I, I did my own research. I wrote my own software uh, for, uh, for my business. I, uh, I, I went out to the auctions and bought houses. Uh, I conducted the evictions. I used to file my own evictions. Uh, I, I sold my houses myself. I did absolutely everything. The first employee I hired was, uh, was a bookkeeper uh, because I couldn't keep up with the check writing and everything else I had to do. So started giving up the check writing part. Then I started giving up the uh, data research part. Uh, my second employee was one. Uh, her job was simply to start inputting data that we retrieved for foreclosure auctions. And all of this at first took place in a home office. Uh, after about uh, what, 10 or 15 years in uh, working out of a home office, uh, finally moved up to the bigger time and got a real legit office, <laughs> uh, hired another person for accounts payable, and then, uh, and then 2008 happened. And when 2008 happened and foreclosure volumes went absolutely through the roof, uh, I partnered up with uh, a home builder, uh, in, in my area here to uh, to take advantage of the real foreclosure opportunity of just huge massive opportunity of houses and uh, that's when we started hiring in, in scale, started hiring property inspectors, uh, project managers, superintendents, more accounting people. Uh, then we started buying rental houses and needed to hire an asset manager to manage the property managers and it just you know one thing starts growing into another and next thing you know you're hiring people all the time. All right. Well, let's talk about the property
3: manager. You said asset manager to manage the property manager. I mean, at what point did you, and maybe you never did, and maybe you never managed, but what point did you switch from managing the rentals yourself or did you never? And then how did you kind of transition, I guess, into property management?
1: Great question. Great question. Um, I, I was always a buy, fix, and resale guy. So I didn't have a lot of rental properties. I started off with a couple I managed them myself. That was really early on. Uh, Very quickly, I learned that tenant management wasn't all that enjoyable. And quite frankly, I wasn't very good at it. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just realized that it was better left to the professionals. So I I sold a few rental properties that I had, did a 1031 exchange into an apartment building where it was at least large enough that I could support having third-party property management better than I could with single family and And got out of the tenant management business.
0: Brian, really quick, how many units was that?
1: Uh, that was a sixteen unit. Okay, it was a sixteen units. A small, a small deal. Can we actually At, talk about that real quick? I know, you, yeah.
3: Um, just because we're here, we're there. Uh, me and me and Ben Leibovich talk about this is like the Ben Gossip Show. But <laughs> me and Ben, <laughs> me and Ben talk a lot about because uh, both of us are looking to get into you know much larger apartment buildings, you know, hundred unit plus, And he's a little bit more active than I am in pursuing that. But we, he talks a lot about that you need to have a large building to support a third party management like he really he's looking for large because he doesn't want a small property manager he wants one of the national ones whatever what are your thoughts on that i mean you did a 16 unit with a with a property manager is that i mean how do you scale that is an eight unit too small is a fourplex too small for property management is that okay how do you look at
1: that the way I look at it is it just depends on your situation. If, if you're trying to break into this business and you're trying to build a portfolio, nothing is too small. I mean, you've got to just do something. If you find a deal that works, I mean, don't go out there and buy something that doesn't work. But if you buy something that where the numbers work, no deal is too small. Now, that being said, the larger the deal, the easier they are to run. I have a couple of hundred and forty unit apartment complexes. They take less of my personal time than my 16 unit or an 11 unit or even some of my four units. It seems like the smaller the unit count, the more of my time ends up getting spent on them.
0: Interesting. And, and now, is that uh, because of the staff? Is that because of who's involved and who works towards those specific buildings? Or is it the tenants? Is it the location? What, what exactly would you say uh, accounts for that?
1: Primarily, it's in the larger properties, they're a business unto themselves. So if you have a 140 unit apartment complex, that apartment complex has employees. So when, yeah. when you guys asked earlier, how many employees do you have and how big is your business? Well, that's kind of a loaded question because I didn't even include those people. If you, if you look at our apartment complex where we have three or four employees full time at our apartment complex, uh, that doesn't even count in my core business's employee count. So by virtue of having a staff, that means less time for me. I don't have to oversee it versus a four-unit property where you have a property manager that any time there's a repair over a 100 bucks, they have to call you and then you have to tell them what you want done or not done. In an apartment complex, as part of the course of running the business, that stuff just gets taken care of and and your job is just to watch over the whole thing from a higher level. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm going through a lot of what you went through with bigger pockets right now where, you know, we're, we're finding that we uh, we've got holes, right. You know, we, we've, you know, the, this thing used to be me slaving away and, and doing every single job. Uh, you know, then we brought on another guy and another guy, and another guy. And, and, you know, it, it seems like every, every couple months now we're in the process of, of hiring and, and it's interesting, you, you know, it's, I, I, I couldn't have planned it because it's kind of organic. It's, you know, we figure out where there's a need where maybe whether it's, you know, hey, I don't want to do property management. Hey, I don't want to do this task. I'm not great at this. So let me get somebody to fill in the holes. So that's kind of how we've done things. and, And it sounds like that's been the plan for you as well. Just kind of figuring out where you might need somebody to kind of take some load off and, and just go with it. Is that a fair assessment?
1: It's absolutely true. I mean, that's the best way to grow a business is to grow it organically. Some people try to force growth. And I think that forced growth results more often than not in, in either challenges and, and or failure. Organic growth to me is you grow as the need progresses and, and And I think that uh, it's more sustainable. And you know, had you taken bigger pockets, for example, and said, "I'm going to start this website. And I'm going to hire fifteen employees and try to figure out what to have them all do, you might be in a different position now than than had you grown it organically.
0: yeah, no, I, I agree because you know, at least in the startup world, I see so many different companies who, you know, maybe they got half a million, a million, two million, five million bucks. They go and they hire seventeen people. and, The next thing you know, six months later they've burned through all their cash and they're out of business. And I I think organically building up, whether it's a a startup business or a real estate business, and I think most of our listeners probably aren't going to be raising some round of cash to to build, you know, a large investment business. I, I do think everybody's gonna pretty much organically be growing their businesses. I think it gives you the opportunity to learn different facets of the business. And and figure out, again, where your skill sets are, where your strengths and weaknesses
3: are, and then fill in the holes. You know, to add to that, one thing, you know, a lot of people might not be worried about hiring 15 people. But one thing that I see a lot of newbies doing is focusing really heavily on building their team, right? I mean, building a team is good, but but they have that kind of same approach of, I need a team of 15 people right now. And they have never even, you know, looked at a step foot inside of a property, and so, just like, well, I need to have a team because I read this book that said I need to have a team, and this is what my team needs to look like. And I'm I generally like to advocate, you know, build your team organically, the same way you would uh, your employee organically, right? If you need a realtor, then go find a realtor. If you need a CPA, go find a CPA. You don't need to have, you know, fifteen people on your team and uh, you know matching suits or something like that to to start a real estate company. So.
1: No, opinion. because what happens is, is you get too caught up in the details of the team and you never actually start getting out there and buying real estate. And, yep, and yeah. that's that's what trips people up. It's it's just like this paralysis of analysis. You know, the, you know, You hear about that all the time of people that don't buy a deal because they spend so much time running the numbers. The other thing that trips people up is they get so caught up in the mechanics of the business, setting up a team, forming LLCs, and doing all these other things that all of those tasks distract them from what's really important, which is buying real estate. Because without buying real estate, you don't have a real estate investment business.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, Absolutely. So, so what was your, I mean, when you first started out, we, we talked about you were you kind of grew organically. I mean, what did you envision for yourself? Uh, you know, we all kind of look at what our future is going to be someday. And we all kind of plan, well, I want to have, I don't know, my business be worth this much money. I want to make this much cash flow. What was that like for you when, when you first got started?
1: For me, I I started off with a goal that I thought if I could just buy one rental house a year, I would be set for retirement. You know that that was how I first you know started out getting serious about it. I mean, at, at first it was I liked real estate; it was fun. I wanted to buy and flip houses, and I did a couple of those, and that was great. But when it finally came to a point where I said, "Look, I've got to come up with a plan." Because otherwise I'm just going to be working for the man for the forever. So for me to come up with a plan, I've got to have something that's going to provide income for me. So that's when I went on this buy a house a year program. I quickly discovered that being a landlord wasn't the greatest thing for me to, to do on that sort of a scale. And that's why I traded up into multifamily and and discovered that that's much more what I'm suited to. But as I, as I started growing, uh, it was, it was to me about how to stop working. And, you know, and, and get out of the full time job. And I knew that if I wanted to get off the island, I had to burn the boats. <laughs> nice. uh, it, you know, it's a yeah. Tony Robbins quote. And you got you quit your job and now you have to make it. You know, so I, I put myself in that position where I had to make it.
3: Well, let, let's let's touch on that. When when should a person I mean, is that a good idea for everyone? Should, when should a person quit their job? I mean, are you are you telling our listeners everyone go and burn your boats right now? And, uh, you know, let's see what happens.
0: Uh Oh,
1: yeah, yeah not, absolutely. Do it right now. No,
0: not. okay, okay. Here's here's Josh stepping in. Please do not listen to Brian Burke.
1: Yeah, exactly. do not no,
0: quit your jobs today because this guy says so.
1: Please no, don't even don't even listen to that quote. No, you know what? It, again, that's that's an organic process, just like building yeah. your business. You don't want to you don't want to give up the security of your income until you've gotten your business to the point where you know that it's sustainable. So for me. What I did was I looked at my track record. I had developed a track record while I was working of having bought, fixed up, and resold a few dozen houses, and that's a few dozen, not one or two and quit. (laughs) So after having done that and seeing that, number one, I could do it consistently, number two, I could do it profitably, and number three... I could show other people what I was doing and that I was successful at it so that they would want to jump on board and give me additional funding to grow it. That's when I knew. I got to a point where I I realized that my job would cost me more money to keep than I would earn from actually keeping it because of the opportunity that I would lose by not becoming a full-time real estate investor. And that's when I knew it was time to burn the boats. And That was the only way that I could solidify my position of doing it full time.
3: Nice. Well, here's my theory in when to quit your job. This is what I've kind of not really lived by because I I just quit my job really early and probably too early. But this is my current theory is that, I mean, you have 168 hours in a week, right? 24 hours a day times seven days a week, 168. You work a job usually for 40 of those hours, which means you've got quite a few hours left in the week to other things. So my my thinking is this. Spend 40 hours a week at your job like normal. Spend 40 hours a week on real estate. If you can make that 40 hours on real estate equal more than your job, then I think go ahead and quit then your job and do it. You know, but if you can, not if you're saying, well, I don't have time to do my real estate investments, I don't I don't know. I think that's an excuse that people use. Like if you can build your business, work side hustle, do it in the evenings, do it in the weekends, whatever you need to make your business, make you enough money to quit your job, then quit your job and then pursue it.
1: So that's that's how I approach it. Yeah, absolutely. I was working late into the night and you know, and all kinds of hours and it was it was crazy. I mean, I was basically it felt like I was working three jobs. And you have to do that. You can't just say, well, I want to go do this real estate thing. I've never bought a house in my life, but I'm gonna quit my job and go out and go do this. It's uh it's it's likely to fail, you'll wind up back to work again. Nice, nice. Yep.
0: Awesome. Well, so You know, we're talking about building and and growing and bootstrapping. So many investors have the need to bootstrap their way through the growth of their business, as we've kind of talked about. I I, I guess my question is, what kind of tips do you have for folks in real estate who are trying to bootstrap their business? You know, how do you kind of do it? Um, How do you kick the ball off, so to speak?
1: You have to start with a plan that has some shot at success. So don't say, I've never bought real estate before, so now I'm going to go out and go buy a 100-unit apartment complex. I'm going to raise money from investors, and I'm going to go buy this thing even though I have none of my own. I mean, be realistic about what you can accomplish given the resources that you have at hand. Uh, So I think that's the first thing. Uh, The second thing is you have to be willing to take some risk and you have to be willing to fail and fall flat on your face and that's a very uncomfortable thing and the only way that you can expand your comfort zone is to test its boundaries and I tested my comfort zone's boundaries plenty of times and and in some cases uh, I paid the price for it and in other cases I was able to build upon Small successes and make them larger successes. So I think that you have to take action. Uh, I think that you can't make excuses. You have to prioritize. You have to not get lost in the procrastination, not get lost in the, the minute details where, you know, a lot of people will be like, yeah, I'm working on my real estate business today. Uh, I sent all, spent all day, you know, going through all my emails. (laughs) That's, that's (laughs) not buying you a house. I mean, you know, getting out there and looking at property. Uh, looking at what strategies might work, going out and meeting people, networking, getting involved with bigger pockets on the forums, finding out what's going on out there and what strategies are successful and what kind of uh, melds well with your skill set. I'm not that great at tenant management, so I wouldn't want to be a small-scale landlord. It it just doesn't fit for me. So you have to find a fit.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hey, you, you know, you, you raised something, and I was thinking about this, you're an active guy in bigger pockets. You know, you clearly don't need to be. You know, you've got a very successful business. You've been doing it for 25 years. You know I was going to ask this at the end, but you just brought it up. So I was I was just curious, you know, why do you do that? What does it bring to you? Uh, what kind of value a guy who's who's been around the block, you know, many many times and who's killing it, uh, what is what does this site actually do for you?
1: Well, it does a lot for me actually. I I first joined Pockets because I thought I could give back, answer some questions, maybe provide some advice on something. I really didn't know what I was going to do. But what I ultimately found was, even though I have been doing this for a long time, and I think I've done just about every kind of deal under the sun, I've done 700 real estate deals, and that's actually properties that I've actually purchased. And uh, and either kept or resold. It's over. I don't even know now. Like two hundred million dollars worth of real estate. So I I thought, you know, I'm not going to learn anything from this site. Obviously, I'm just here to to give advice or share my knowledge. And and what I found was quite the opposite. I found that there's a lot to learn out there. No matter how much you think you know, there's stuff out there that you don't know. And that's the beauty of this business. You know, I'm a I'm a licensed pilot, and I like to go flying and. You know, I went through flight training when I was in high school, and and uh, you know, you you learn how to fly an airplane. You you know, but you don't know it all. You spend the rest of your life learning things about flying an airplane and about better ways to land, and you know, just just different things. And same goes with real estate. There's so many nuances that you can learn, and then beyond that, you know, I started making connections, making friendships. Uh, you know, I got to go out to dinner with Brandon Turner. I mean, who gets to do that?
0: <laughs> wow. You, you didn't go out to dinner with me.
1: <laughs> no, I just, no, I just drove you back to the hotel and wow. dropped you off.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. That was no, a good dinner. That was a good dinner.
1: That I was like. a good dinner. I went back remember there that. the other day, actually. Did you? Yeah,
3: Where was that at? Santa Rosa? It was, yeah, that was in
1: Santa Rosa. Yeah. went back there the other day and thought about you. And, uh nice. yeah, you know, it's just all the things that, you know, expanding my network, meeting new people and actually, get this this is probably the best part about it making even more money and i and i said in the beginning of this uh, podcast you asked me what's my favorite thing to do in real estate and and making money is my answer and bigger pockets even does that for me and you know i i get i've gotten uh, deals from People I've met on Bigger Pockets. I've met partners on Bigger Pockets. I'm working with uh, uh, Ben Labovitch on his uh, multifamily project. I'm working with Sam Craven from Podcast Thirty Three. There's that damn three again. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're uh, we're looking at uh, uh, doing a fund to buy rental houses in Houston, Texas. Things. I mean, I never would have met those two guys had I not come to Bigger Pockets. I've gotten yeah. investors from Bigger Pockets. I don't. I could just go on all day about. Wow. <laughs> what it's, what it's done for me and my business, but you know, this isn't an ad for bigger pockets. Yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. it's just true. I mean, this is, this is what happens when you're involved with a community. And for me, it's, it's grown my business substantially.
0: So, and, and that wasn't a loaded question. It was, it was legitimately, you know, I, I know that you get value from it and and I thought it was important for, you know, new, newer folks and any of the guys who might be listening, who are, are at your level, who are sitting back and saying, you, you know, uh, yeah, I'm good. What what do I need to dig in and get involved for? Well, you know, there you go. There's your answer.
1: There's your answer. I mean, you were talking about growing a business into a larger business. Well, one of the components of doing that is putting yourself out there and getting involved. You, you don't you don't grow a large business on your own. I didn't grow my business larger until I got a a partner to partner up with to help me grow it. You've got to get out there and and build your network to build your business.
3: Yeah. Do you you have any good uh, tips for people listening on like what is like one or two or three things that they can actually do like maybe on Bigger Pockets to do what you're doing? I mean, how are you doing this? I mean, I haven't gotten you know tons of I I actually have gotten funding, but I haven't gotten like as much (laughs) as you have. So, what should I be doing? What should other people be doing that you're doing that's working well for you?
1: Well, you know what? What's working well for me is just talking about what either talking about what I'm doing or helping other people sort out what they're trying to do. And this is what's interesting about bigger pockets. There's people on there that read the forums that you'll never hear from. They'll never post, they'll never interact with with you online, but they're reading and they see how you approach real estate as a business and form an opinion about you. So everything that you say on the forums is getting read by a potential partner of yours. It might be someone that might invest with you. It might be someone that will sell you a property or will buy a property from you. But whether or not they do business with you depends a lot on how what you say resonates with them. Mm-hmm. So I think if you contribute on the forums by giving sound advice or you know uh, helping people other people reading that see that and say, "Wow, there's a guy I want to do business with because he knows what he's talking about." And people yeah. who know what they're talking about are successful. So, if, if you approach it from that angle, I think you'll get business.
3: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you know, right to add on to that, just to like you said, there's a lot of people who just read. Just give some numbers to that. I mean, we get what a thousand, a little over over a thousand forum posts every day, which is a lot of for. I mean, we're one of the most active forums on the web. Period. But we get. I don't know, ten times more traffic than we do a forum post. At least, I mean, probably far more than that. So there's a whole, like you said, there's a whole ton of people that are are reading Bigger Pockets every single day who aren't posting. And I mean, obviously, I want to encourage them people to post, but at the same time, if you are posting, like you said, just understand there's ten times more people reading than are even interacting. Yeah, that's
0: yeah. great. That's great. Well, again, sorry everybody for the for the segue, but yeah, it just came to mind, and
2: there we are. Are you about to sell a property? Wait like 60 seconds because this could save you thousands. Our friends at 1031 Pros have saved their clients more than half a billion dollars, with a B, in taxes with 1031 tax-deferred exchanges. With the 1031 exchange, you can say goodbye to the huge capital gains taxes when selling and roll your property's profit into another investment that could make you even more. Whether you're an individual investor, part of a larger group, or a title or real estate agent, 1031 Pros is ready to help. Trust me, I've done 1031 exchanges on multiple properties before, and it has saved me tens of thousands in taxes, if not more. With over 30 years of experience, 1031 Pros has handled over 20,000 audit-free exchanges, and they specialize in all types of exchanges, delayed, simultaneous, reverse and improvement exchanges in all 50 states. And right now, Bigger Pockets listeners can get $250 off any exchange by visiting my1031pros.com slash BP. That's MY1031 P R O S dot com slash BP to get $250 off today. Oh, and make sure to mention bigger pockets when you call. They take care of our people over there. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. slash biggerpockets slash biggerpockets You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct-to-investor alternative asset manager, you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with credit-worthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, Fundrise has completed more than $500 million worth of private credit deals with an average net interest of 10.8%, and they've already amassed a pipeline worth more than $300 million. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can take advantage of this unique window of opportunity while it lasts, with Fundrise's new private credit strategy. Ready to start? Go to fundrise.com slash pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss.
0: Well, let's let's jump back to you. So you're growing... What about the guy who's like, all right, you know, I'm in a position where I can't pay for somebody. I can't pay to bring on that employee, but I'm so stretched. What do I do? You know, how do you build your team if you can't afford to pay the salary of somebody? How do you get it going?
1: Well, what I'm wondering is, what are you stretched with? If you're so stretched that you don't have time to run your business, what are you doing in your business that it's not making you enough money to be able to afford a team? Yep. So it sounds to me like you're just misallocating your time and and you're putting your resources in the wrong place. So this yeah. is where people start getting into that loop that I was talking about before about well I spent the whole day checking my emails or addressing postcards or whatever it is. It's like maybe you need to shift your priorities into doing something that actually brings you money. Kind of like when you're fixing up a house, you want to make sure that if you're going to put $1000 into that house, you get $2000 back in the resale value. You're not just fixing up the house just to make it Pretty and say, Oh, I'm going to spend 10 grand on the kitchen because I think the kitchen would look better with dark cabinets versus white cabinets, but it's not going to change the ultimate sales price. You're wasting your money. Well, people do the same thing in their business. Instead of putting their efforts into their business in the areas that produce profit, they put it into areas that just create work and therefore not generating revenue. And if you're creating work without revenue, of course you're busy and can't afford a team.
0: I got to tell you, I am probably one of the most guilty of that people on the planet. <laughs> yes, uh, you and,
1: are, <laughs> and and I did it, and I did it
0: for a very, 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 very long time. And yeah, I I, I mean, I think it's a really easy trap to fall into for for folks who are bootstrapping. Mm-hmm. Is you know, get getting bogged down by the details, going on the on the roof of your house and putting a shingle on, uh, or or you know, hammering nails. Fixing your siding, fixing your (laughs) siding. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I mean, putting up your own shed, what, you know, (laughs) at some, uh, (laughs) Ben, um, (laughs) so it's hard. It's hard to get that mindset. Again, I, I am extremely guilty of this. I've been running bigger pockets for almost 10 years now. And for three quarters of that, at least I was focused on the details. I was focused in the business versus on the business and, uh, you know, I think there was a lot of value to it. But I also, you know, looking back, say, oh my goodness, you know, what if I had, you know, stopped and brought some folks on and kind of started to scale it sooner? That said, you know, there is this fear that people, uh, and, and I think it's a rational fear that that people face, which which is, you know, it's not going to get done the way I want it to get done. I'm, you know, I'm going to get stretched. We've got all these fears, right? Of course it um, won't
1: get done the way you want it to get done because, you know, it, it, that's the classic mentality of the self-employed person is, right. I'm the only one that can do this if I want to get it done right. Exactly. And, and look, Josh, I was in the same boat as you. I've been investing in real estate for 25 years. We've already said that. But you want to know how much money I made in my first 10 years in this business? Zero. I made nothing. I mean, I might have accumulated a little bit of property. got up to doing a multifamily or whatever, but I made nothing. And the reason I made nothing is because I was so bogged down in the details of doing absolutely everything. Like I was writing my own software. I was going out and doing everything. I was looking at all the houses. I was doing all these things. And I was really kind of getting nowhere. So at a certain point, I realized I've got to offload some of the non-revenue stuff, But you have to have revenue to be able to offload it. So I shifted my focus into activities that made money. That brought money in that allowed me to afford to hire somebody to do the stuff that wasn't making me money, which made even more money. So it was all a part of making a foundation for the business. So that stuff you went through, Josh, it's necessary to build the foundation of the business that later allows you to scale it up.
0: Yeah, I agree. And and I think looking back, what you said, you said it twice now. Uh, is is something that really resonates. If you're bootstrapping, if you're scaling your business, find those keys that are gonna make you money. Now, it may not directly be something that makes you money, but it's something that indirectly affects you, that makes money. To Brian's example about uh, licking envelopes, you know, if you're sitting around licking envelopes, you know for three hours a day, instead of spending x amount of dollars for a service, uh, and we got t- you know we got all these vendors on bigger pockets who do this stuff, right? So instead of hiring one of these companies that does it, you're licking the envelopes to save you know fifty, hundred bucks. If you had spent your time working on activities that produce more than a hundred bucks over those three, four hours, then you you really should be spending your time doing those things and not licking envelopes.
1: Well, well, and I say that because I've been there. I've been licking envelopes. I've addressed envelopes. I've done that. Yep. You're absolutely right. But you know the people get into the thing where they say. I don't even know what else to do Mm -hmm. to get the phone to ring. So I lick envelopes because if I'm not licking envelopes, what else am I going to do?
3: We have this kind of running joke on bigger pockets about me, right, working on the siding in the rain because there's a picture of me on the forums I took of of me working on the siding in the rain. So (laughs) here here was my argument, though, and I want to know what your thoughts are. I mean, my argument was this. That night I had a choice. I could pay two hundred dollars for a contractor to go and fix the siding, or I could go and just take it care of it in an hour or two because I knew how to do it right. So I was like, okay, well I have a choice. I'm gonna, I could be sitting here watching Lost on TV or you know reruns of Lost, or I could go and put this up in the rain and save myself two hundred dollars. Where does a newbie or somebody who's trying to grow their business where does that come into play? Like, I mean, I wasn't gonna go find a new property that night to go buy. Obviously, my strength is in putting together deals. Like that, that is what my strength is, but I wasn't putting together a deal that night. What are your thoughts on that?
1: My thoughts are, you know, we kid a little bit here about how we're allocating our resources and licking envelopes or putting siding on houses, right? But, but we also have to go back to my comment of saying that all of those things are a necessary component of growing your business. Having actually done that yourself is kind of just part of the process what you have to do is you have to evolve away from it so you're you're growing your business organically so you know this time you went and hung the siding you know t- a year from now you might be in a different position where you're saying, Look, my, my main focus is on acquisitions. And it also depends on your goals. You know, if you're, you know, Brandon, you're a self made gazillionaire now with all the properties <laughs> that you own. So <laughs> your, your objective now <laughs> is just to sit on the sidelines and collect your rents and minimize your expenses. If that's your position, there's nothing wrong with going out and fixing the siding on your building to save yourself $200.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I look at it like uh, mowing the lawn. For years and years, yeah, I got a I got a decent lawn. I, I take pride in my lawn and I hate mowing the lawn. Absolutely loathe it. It takes an hour or so to do it. And you know, forever I was just cheap about it. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do this. I gotta get it done, you know, so on and so forth. And one day I was like, you know what? That's an hour out of my day that either is better spent with my kids. I value an hour with my kids more than the 26 bucks that I pay the the guy to mow my lawn. And I value my time at work is worth much more than that. So, you know, one day I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm giving it up. I'm not mowing the lawn anymore. I'm going to pay somebody. And it's hard. You look at the bills. You're like, okay, this is adding up. I just spent, you know, this much on mowing the lawn. But you got to do the math. You got to do the math on the time value of your money and your availability to do other things. And, you know, do the equation and see where it fits for you.
3: Yeah. You know, to add one more thing and then we can, you know, probably move on from this, but I want to talk about my biggest mistake in all of real estate investing. And and that was when I started buying property, I didn't account for having to hire a contractor to pay him $50 an hour. I didn't account for a property manager to charge me 10% a month to manage the properties because I said, "Well, I only have one or two, why does it matter?" That's why I was out on the roof and the rain fixing siding. And that's why once in a while, I mean I hardly do those things anymore. But that's why for years I and I still manage my own properties. Cause if I were today gonna transfer my properties over to property management, I would lose three, four thousand dollars a month. I mean, I would lose almost all my cash flow overnight because all of a sudden I switched to property management. Cause when I started, I didn't plan for that. And so I think a good way to scale a good way, and just lesson I've learned, is a good way to scale is to make sure when you're doing the math, when you're doing the numbers, account for those things that you eventually will have to have in order to scale. Otherwise, it, you get put in this box that, that I feel like I'm in where I can't really go, I can't really do anything but manage myself because that's how I set it up from the beginning.
1: Well, here's what a lot of new real estate investors underestimate, and even ex- somewhat experienced investors make the same mistake, is they underestimate the importance of the acquisition Mm -hmm. as it relates to the successful outcome of that investment the success or failure of that entire deal is decided when you buy it yep Yep. if you buy wrong you're doomed if you buy right you have a much better chance of a successful outcome. So, and and then there's variations in between. Brand, I'm not saying you bought wrong. I'm just saying you bought at a level that worked for you based on the information that you had at the time and the expenses that you estimated at the time. Now, now that you know what you know, if you were to buy that same property again, you would probably still buy it, but you would probably pay less because you would say, you know, if I pay twenty thousand less for this property, then the the price to rent ratio and cash flow, et cetera, are going to allow me to afford to pay a property manager or allow me to afford to pay someone else to make that repair. And I don't have to do it on my own.
3: Yep. And, and another, another side of that too is, I mean, I, I don't regret the the decisions that I made to do that. Cause for example, the, the thing that takes the most of my time is the apartment complex. It's a 24 unit though. I bought it with no money down. I mean, $0 down. Now I could have put 20% Twenty percent down, taking a hundred thousand dollars. I didn't have a hundred thousand dollars, but if I would have, I could have put a hundred thousand down. My mortgage would have been significantly less. I would have had significantly more cash flow. That would have paid for all the management that I could need on that property. I mean, essentially. So what I I made a choice. I mean, I traded what I did have, and that was time, and that was the ability to fix things. And I traded that, and I quit my job the day I bought the apartment complex. So I. Few months before, but I mean, I, I knew I was getting it, so that's why I quit my job the second time around was to do that because I knew I could trade my creativity and, and, and use my skills in place of a cash down payment. So again, it, I hustled and it worked, uh, but now I'm in a whole new place now. So now I can look back and say, well, now this is what I'm going to do from here on forward, and hopefully help other people who are in that place to be able to and, do that.
0: And that's all. That's what Brian was talking about in the beginning of the show about crossing the river and that, that meandering yep. that, that's happening. You know, I mean where you are today isn't going to be where you are tomorrow and and you have to be you know ready and willing to to shift if you have to i mean and and let me let me just flip this on you Brandon i know this isn't the Brandon show but i, I i'm <laughs> sure the listeners will appreciate it so you know given that you bought it at the price you bought it at and given that you bringing in property management would kind of damage you right it put a dent in your in your cash flow at some point, I'm assuming you're either gonna have to suck it up or you're gonna have to unload these things. Yep. Is, is is that kind of where you're at then?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it, a lot of it's mental. It's a mental game, right? So I'm gonna go from making three to four to five thousand a month in cash flow on the apartment complex to making a thousand a month in, in, in cash flow. That hurts my, you know, a lot. I'm like, oh, that just hurts because that's money in my pocket every month and I like having it. However, a thousand a month in cash flow off a zero dollar down investment. It's still an amazing investment, right? I mean, it just mentally it hurts to give that up, and so yeah. I mean, that's the choice I have to make: is am I okay receiving a thousand or maybe nothing? Yeah. You know, in a in a bad month if we had a bunch of vacancies and evictions, am I okay but, with
1: that? But that was all part of the growth process, though, too. So when we talk about how businesses go through a growth cycle, people go through a growth cycle. Mm-hmm. So you know, when you're young, you can you go out there and you can do all these things and you, you manage the properties and fix the siding and do all that kind of stuff. And as you age, your investments begin to mature, your cycle in your life begins to change and, and your focus differs from I'm going to do everything to now I just want to receive the, the the profits from doing everything. You know, it's kind of like you reach a certain age in life where you, you no longer have to help people move. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it, it's the same thing in real estate. You reach a certain point in your business where you no longer have to go out and fix siding. I mean, all of these things just evolve, but but you still have to experience that for yourself because. I Going back to your, your acquisition, Brandon, and talking about how, well, you know, maybe I would have bought it differently if I knew now what I knew then, what I know now. I mean, it's all part of experience, right? And I mean, experience, uh, good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment because yep. we don't know what we don't know. We make right. mistakes, we learn from those mistakes. We say, okay, next time I would do it this way. And so that next time comes along and you do it that way and then your business grows and then you do it and then it grows and then it grows.
3: Yeah. I, I, and I think that's a really good, I mean, that's really, really good. And to, to emphasize one more thing that I've seen in your life, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you're working with Ben. So Ben calls me you know, or or I'll call him from time to time to talk about the large multifamily he's pursuing. And this is how the conversation goes. It's the first call is, hey, Brandon, I found this really good. I should do the Ben accent. I think I can. (laughs) Hey, Brandon, I find find beautiful property. You can try it out. He'll say, I got this amazing property, 170 unit. It's amazing deal. Amazing property. I'm going to get it. I'm like, wow, that sounds awesome. Did you talk to Brian yet? (laughs) I'm going to talk to him later. (laughs) <laughs> Next day, he calls you back. Yeah, that was a terrible deal. And so what, <laughs> what that what that does, I mean, like, honestly, like he's the piggybacking off your experience. And so like, like he's gaining that the same thing that he could get by failing by messing up by buying a property that was too expensive. He's get it by piggybacking on you and on your experiences and your failures. And that's just one thing I want to emphasize that. If you're trying to get into a to real estate, like it's okay to piggyback on someone else. Like, you, doesn't mean you have to partner with them, but you could. I mean, just become friends with them, talk to them, yeah. get in a call with them, get in the forums with them, whatever. That is huge, huge. is piggyback on somebody else's successes or failures. It is. Yeah, that's
0: that's called a true mentorship. I mean, that yeah. that in my mind is you know forget these guys who are charging whatever they charge. I mean, that's what sort a of mentor is. You know he he's got brian as a mentor yep. right so you know whether or not it's formalized it doesn't have to be you know he looks up to brian brian's got wisdom brian's got experience and he's turning to him so you know every day somebody contacts me and every day 20 people go on the site and say hey how do i get a mentor that's how you get a mentor find a guy who's experienced who's local or not even local use bigger pockets and become friends with them. You don't force it.
3: and You don't ask, 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 ask. You got to provide some value, but that's what's going to help you. Well, let, let me ask you, Brian, then, what is it that attracted, I mean, when Ben got in touch with you, obviously Ben saw that you were doing what he wanted to do. That's why Ben wanted to talk to you to do more because that's where he wanted to, he sees himself where you are, right? So yeah. what attracted you to him? I mean, to be able to, yeah, I want to I work with him. I want to, same with Sam Craven. You said you were working with him. What made you want to work with them I mean, cause you're probably going to like a thousand people to email you after this.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but like, yeah, lot, just guys. don't, don't yeah. give
3: your email address. The <laughs> <show>. <laughs> but why, yeah. What is it though? That made like when people, I don't know, for people who want to mentor somebody like you, what is it that made you jump on to that? I'll, bandwagon? I'll go right
1: back to what I was saying earlier about uh, how bigger pockets works and how it works for people and how it works for me. You know, it, it you, you read what people write, you, you hear what people have to say, and you form an opinion in your own mind about how that person works and how they think. And it either resonates with you or it doesn't. So, you know, I read Ben's posts and I think, okay, here's a guy who, who really knows what he's talking about. I mean, you know, he's, he's smart, he's analytical, he thinks it all the way through. Uh, you know, I saw the same thing in Sam, you know, when I listened to Sam's podcast about the success that he had in, in podcast 33, <laughs> with all the threes, uh, you know, about <laughs> why... Why, uh, you know, he was able to turn his business into what he did, and you know, I'm attracted to that. I'm attracted to people who have that sense of success and who have made something for themselves out of nothing, and and think it all the way through. For so, for the same reason that people contact me and say, "Hey, I want to partner with you, or I want to uh, you know, fund one of your deals, or I want to invest in one of your uh, one of your private offerings, and that sort of thing." Uh, the same thing goes in, in reverse. You know, I see people out there and, and think, gosh, you know, here's a guy who's really got it together. You know, there's there's guys out there that you you read what they have to say and you just go, Wow, you know, that's that's the way to think. You know, Jay Scott's one of those guys, you know, he writes these great books and all this stuff, and you say, Well, here's a guy that really knows what he's talking about.
0: Yeah. Alright, so how do you transition that? You know, We're talking about mentors, but how do you then transition that to find somebody similar to add to your team? I'm talking about an employee, staff, contractor, whatever it is. You, know, do you, you don't have the ability to use, say, BiggerPockets for them to gain their knowledge. When you're hiring, what's your process of vetting somebody?
1: It's, it's the same conventional thing of going through the interview process. And, you know, my, my interviews are a lot different than, than most people's interviews. You know, when, you know, it's not tell me about yourself and, you know, and what, what are your strengths and weaknesses? I mean, my interview process is centered around getting into someone's, getting into someone's head. I want to know how they think. I want to know what makes them tick. I want to know what they've done and why they've done it uh and then it's going to either it's either going to resonate and gel where i see okay there's a fit here or it's not and i realize there isn't a fit and you know i'm not hiring necessarily off a of skill i can train skill i'm hiring off of aptitude and attitude and a willingness to be part of the team and learn, and you know, I think those are the most important components in in an employee. They're important components in a partnership, uh, and they're com- important components in me as a as a leader of a team as well. So uh, we all have to be on the same page.
3: Cool, yeah, that's good.
0: So, so if if you you know you've got somebody who comes to you and says, "Hey, listen, you know, I'm doing you know twenty houses a year. Uh, things are going well." I I I want to be in your shoes. You know, what what one piece of advice I guess would would you give to them when it comes to scaling their business?
1: First piece of advice and probably the most important is document your track record. If you've done two dozen deals and and now you want to grow, you're not likely to grow without raising outside capital in some form, and you're not likely to raise outside capital in any form without demonstrating to uh, the, the holder of the gold, so to speak, that you're worthy of the money. And so uh, there was a, a post not long ago, within the last week or so, on, on BP that I had answered, and, and the question surrounded raising money from investors and why is it so hard uh, it's hard because people have to trust you to part with their money. Uh, so if you want to grow, you got to have the funds. If you want to have the funds, you got to be trusted. If you want to be trusted, you have to be able to show number one, you know what you're talking about, and number two, that you have a track record of success. So document that. I have a a sheet that goes all the way back. You know, 700 deals. Every one of them's on there. I mean, people can see exactly what I've done, whether it was successful or not and make their determination of whether or not they think that I would be a good risk for them to invest their capital. And, you know, we've raised about, geez, I mean, we're a $30 million company now that came out yeah. of nowhere. Uh, and that happened in a very short period of time. In the last five years, most of that growth, and it was all because we were able to demonstrate a track record. So if wow. that's your position, show your track record, and then the, the growth will come.
0: You know, I, I really love that advice. and And, you know, mentioned jay scott a couple times on the show i think jay was the first guy i'd ever seen publicly document his track record
1: right he he
0: created his blog one two three flip and on it he literally was creating these meticulous records of each property that he went and flipped and it's it's an enormous tool for for folks to learn how to flip houses you see how this guy went through from his first one you know how successful he was what he did right what he did wrong you know and And I encourage people to do that. I mean, you know, for him, it kept him, you know, it keeps him accountable. He still records stuff. He's now got a a website for uh, a new, uh, his home, his home, which he's building, you know, from scratch basically. And so I I guess I'd recommend whether, you know, whether you're doing it on paper or if you want an extra layer of, you know, I need to keep myself accountable, go out there and create a blog and document it and you know it's also a great way to find partners and find people uh, because now you're publicly sharing your experiences and your successes and failures and that's actually why we have our success story uh, forum on bigger pockets we want people to share what they're doing you know we want them to show what deals they've done what they're accomplishing because as you do that other people are going to see it and they're going to say you know wow that's 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 great this guy just closed his 17th deal his 34th his 500th and these numbers look fantastic. That's the kind of guy I want to work with. That's why it exists. If you aren't using the success form on our site, it's a it's just another tool. Uh, yeah, so,
1: I, my my first uh, a, a track record uh, really was a spreadsheet that showed purchase date, uh, address purchase price, resale price, you know that sort of thing with this vital statistics. I was the worst guy ever about actually showing pictorial representations of what I was doing before and after pictures and that sort of thing. I had a very little documentation and I realized that was a big mistake and, and a big area of improvement for our business. So we've been on a campaign recently to get better photographic documentation of our rehabs just to show people a more tangible thing than the numbers because I think that's important. So I just did my first... Post in the uh, BP Success Forum uh, for a uh, kind of like a flip diary. I <laughs> flip number 653, and it's my first one that I've actually put on bigger pockets. To show because it was like the worst house I've ever done. It's going to be the this, most amazing visual transformation. that the cat? I had to post
0: this, this is the hoarder house.
1: The harder, yeah, the cat litter, the uh, cat, the cat litter, cat litter flip. Yeah, yeah tell, it's like, let's talk about that real quick, like because people who have this is this yeah. is
0: a deplorable property. Yeah. Like from visually, I saw this and I vomited in my mouth. It was
1: it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine walking through the front door. Oh my, my god! wife, she went she went to the front door with me. I opened the front door. She turned right around and got back in the car. <laughs> <laughs> nice,
3: nice. And w- we will link to the the. Uh, the forum, I'll link to that in the show notes as well. So everybody make sure you check out, I mean, you, you will not believe these pictures. I mean, I've, I don't believe them when I've seen them. So yeah, check it out. I know this isn't really about scaling your business, but maybe just real quickly, how did you get this property? And I mean, what, what's your plans with it?
1: It it was funny. I was, uh, I've never done direct mail. I've, I've always bought most of my properties at the courthouse steps. And so I was, uh, trying to get into the direct mail side of the business and I was reaching out to people on bigger pockets who uh, I thought uh, were good at direct mail and 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 would be able to provide some advice. And through the course of those discussions, I ended up in a conversation with a guy that said, hey, you know, while I've got you, I've got this property that came into me as a lead. And it all started from there. And, you know, as a guy I met through BP and uh, we took a look at the house, I sent my acquisitions guy down there. He came back to the office and he said, this is the worst property I've ever gone to look at. I said, "Come on, man! You looked <laughs> at a thousand houses for me. How bad could it be?" Well, you judge for yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, it is. But it it, uh, it wait till you see it. Uh, we're almost done with the rehab, and uh, I'll I'll keep posting pictures on it, and you'll be able to see uh, the progress all the way through and, and fast forward, so to speak. It's a uh, it's pretty amazing. But finally, I'm getting to the point where I'm showing people a little bit more about what it is in, in a in a format that resonates with people on an emotional level versus just numerically.
3: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, one other uh, place that people can, you know, go to do that is uh, on BiggerPockets, there's a place called the Member Blogs. A lot of people don't know about this area of the site, but if you go to biggerpockets.com slash blogs, uh, there's a number of people who are, are doing exactly that. They're just writing their, their day-to-day or their week-to-week or month-to-month struggles, successes, whatever, as an investor. So that's kind of cool too. So people should check that out. And if you want to start a member blog, it's totally free and you can add photos and all sorts of cool stuff. So anyway, yeah, that's cool. You can do it on the forums too. I know like uh, uh, Wendell, who we interviewed on the show a few uh, months back, he's doing that as well. So on uh, Life of an Investor, I think it's called. It's yeah, kind of
1: I cool saw that. That's yeah. what inspired me to do this. Okay, so cool, thanks, yeah. Wendell. Yeah,
3: yeah, that's a cool thread. Just yeah. kind of every day, like what he does. to
0: Yeah, but now here's the thing, right? So yeah. you now know Wendell, right, Brian? I mean, you may not know him, but you're like, oh, wow, this Wendell guy. He's out there. He's rocking it. I like how he's doing it. I like his approach. And maybe... Maybe at some point you say, OK, this is the type of guy I want
3: to work with.
1: Yeah, that's exactly how it happens. Yeah, that's yep. exactly how it happens. Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. Hey, cool. I'm curious. Uh, I know we got to you know, slowly start wrapping this up, but I, I want to talk a little bit about when you when you get bigger and when you start to grow, you endanger yourself of getting sued more often. Right. I mean, like, yeah, absolutely. Has, has that happened to you? And, and how do you prevent that? How do you get away from ever being sued?
1: Yeah, it does happen, and it has happened to me. And you know, the thing about you know being in business—if you haven't been sued yet, you just probably haven't been doing it long enough, uh, because (laughs) it's inevitable. Topic, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. There's one for your show notes. Yep. Uh, It 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 happens to everyone, even when you you know I I like to think that I do everything right. You know, I try to uh, be fair with people, honest, uh, and, and just and just do everything on the up and up, and and even despite all that once in a while something's going to come along. And I've had a few of them. I've probably been sued a half a dozen times. And most of the time it's related to uh – uh Uh, foreclosure actions, where I was the purchaser at the foreclosure auction. And this kind of goes back to, I I see people on the forums all the time say, oh, I've never bought a a property before, but I'm thinking of going to the auction and buying one at the courthouse steps. And scary. I mean, if you you know take (laughs) a look at my flip uh, that we were just talking about uh, on the uh, the forums, that's a house that from the street, which is all you get to see on an auction house, didn't really look that bad. You never would have imagined what you saw on the inside, and you wouldn't have found out until it was too late. But there's also other things that come up when you're buying at the courthouse steps, and you know sometimes you'll get an owner that thinks they were wronged, and you know they sue their lender, and in the course of suing the lender, they also have to sue the purchaser. I, I'm involved in one of those right now. I've spent a hundred and forty something thousand dollars in legal fees. Oh my gosh! Trying to clean wow. my title, we've already won the lawsuit, but I still don't have clean title, and we're still paying money in legal fees to to get clean title. Uh, and and I don't even know how long it's going to take. I've had others that have cost Twenty to thirty thousand, uh, just to defend our position. Oddly enough, every lawsuit I've ever been involved in, I've won, and you know that goes back to always being sure that you do the right thing. But you never prevent it. So people talk all the time, like, "Well, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna set up an LLC." Yep. So that, <laughs> I was just you know, gonna so ask you that. Isn't an yeah, LLC the cure I QRL? knew you were gonna ask me that. Yeah. See, I read your mind. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna set up an LLC so that I can, you know, prevent lawsuits or I can insulate myself from lawsuits and. If you're if you're not out there, you know, doing the wrong thing, the likelihood of you getting a judgment rendered against is fairly low. And if you do, you have insurance, hopefully, to cover that. Uh, but what what isn't uh, covered in every case is your legal costs, and that's really where the expense comes in. So, you know, I, I don't know. I think LLCs are great if they're necessary. I don't think you need one and you know if you have a partner and the two of you are going to buy a house together having an LLC uh, you know gives you some a vehicle to take title without having the intermingling of his personal debts get involved with the deal or whatever but uh, for lawsuit protection I just think they have limited value Gotcha it, it, yeah. It's just one of those it's gonna happen things I mean it's like losing money on a deal I mean if you haven't lost money on a deal, you haven't done enough deals yet I mean that's yep. just as you as you grow your business, things will happen they will happen you can't prevent it uh, it's just part of growing and and hopefully you learn from it and 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 get past it and hopefully it doesn't happen too early in your business where it wipes you out and doesn't give you the ability to come back
0: <laughs> yeah, right on right on all right well. What about balance? You know, in the beginning of the show, you talked about leaving your job, your full-time job. And obviously, you now have a full-time job again, don't you?
1: Yeah, that's for sure.
0: But, but uh, you know, at some point, there's this work and life balance that that has to happen. I'll talk about me personally. I, I set some boundaries saying, you know, I'm not going to get up at 6.30 and jump on and do work anymore. I'm going to wait until I, you know, eat breakfast, spend time with the kids. And the same goes for, you know, the end of the day, you know, I, I set this time period for, you know, 5 to 8, 8.30 where I don't look at work. I don't, you know, I don't look at anything unless it's a 9-1-1, right? So what do, you, what do you do and what do you recommend that people do to kind of maintain some kind of balance, particularly when they're working and trying to build that business?
1: Yeah, that, you know, it's really tough when you're working and building your business. And I know that I was particularly bad at that balance. So I'm probably not the best guy to give uh, advice on how okay. to how to balance that when you're doing it. Because, you know, I, I worked a lot and it was just part of the process. And, and I looked at it like this. I'm paying my dues now so that later on I get the payoff of not having to work a job and do real estate investments and yep. working for myself and having more flexibility that That outcome comes at a price, and you know uh, the price for me was i, I didn 't have a very good balance when I was in my twenties or, or even my thirties for that matter, but you know over the course of the last few years i 've gotten a lot better at that balance now that you know i 've got more employees i 've got more systems uh, i 've grown larger, I can start to step back a little bit since i 'm not involved in every decision. I like to take vacations, and when i 'm on vacation it 's like uh, i 'll Check my email in the morning and maybe again at night and the rest of the day i'm I'm off work yeah I like to uh I, I like to spend time on the weekends with with my wife and just do things we like to go for walks where you know I don't have a uh, you know an email in my hand or anything like that. you know we just kind of reconnect at the end of the day and and you know and it during dinner and and just kind of setting that time aside as your own personal time it's not easy, but you've got to do it,
0: yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's one of the things that one of my big pet peeves about kind of society in 20, uh, or what are we, 2014, you, you know, you go out to the, to a restaurant and you see, you know, the, the family, the kids are on the pads and the wife and kid, wife and husband are clicking away and typing away. And, you know, they're, they're, they're not sitting down at the table together and, or, or if they are, everybody's on a device. I think it's really, really important you know, not just for a balance, but frankly, I think it's an important for the future of our society, yeah. really, and relationships uh, between people and humanity that we create some kind of separation and distinction with, with when we're at work and when we're not at work. And and the devices, you know, putting them down for a couple of minutes or hours and, and set, you know, pr- pretty dedicated time for yourselves.
1: Well, when you have a chance to clear your head, you recharge your brain, and when you recharge your brain, you think better and clearer, and you get more done, and, and it helps to grow your business when you can be creative and think. And, and like you, I'm not I'm not the guy that gets up at 5 a.m. And you know, it, a lot of people might think, well, if you built a big real estate business, you know, you must be the first guy up because everybody knows that the early bird gets the worm. Well, you know, I, I use a, a different one. Brandon, I'll give you one of your tweetable moments while everybody else <laughs> says that the early bird gets the worm. My philosophy is that the second mouse gets the cheese. There
3: you go.
1: So I, I say, I'll get up later. I'll let you go buy that property, and I'll buy it when you lose it in foreclosure. Or <laughs> 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 Wow.
0: It was all flowers until then. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that competitive side came back. There it goes, yeah. Number three, <laughs> but, number three,
0: number three.
1: <laughs> it's 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 how it's how I treat my business too. You know, it's yeah. you know, I wait for the right thing to come along and and sometimes waiting means that you're not just busy busy busy. You're just standing back and observing and watching to see what's happening and, and then you leap when it's when it's time.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Right it's all like it really wraps back to what you said earlier. It's all in your purchase. If you're just trying to buy everything you possibly can, you're going to make mistakes if you wait for the right deal and wait for the perfect thing. I think you're going to do a lot better.
1: So. Yeah, been there, done that. It's not fun.
3: Yeah, very cool. All right. Well, hey, uh, do you guys hear that siren?
1: It's time for the fire round. Is that the fire round siren? That is, that that is would the, fire be the fire
3: round. Yeah. This is the fire round. There you go. He's <laughs> so angry. Why is he so angry, Brandon? I don't know. He's an angry guy. All right. The <laughs> The fire round. These questions come straight out of the bigger pockets forum. So you may have seen them because I know you're in there a lot. Number one, I really like this question. It's very actionable. What is your system for handling and following up with business cards that you get through networking?
1: I put them in a stack and put a rubber band around them and never get to them again. (laughs) (laughs) That's my that's
3: my strategy. What are you talking about? Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, it's funny in this business you get so many of them and and no, so it it depends. I mean, I use a um, a CRM called Zoho that I started out as like a free service and you know now I think I have a paid thing. And so if if it's an investment uh, contact, I put them into Zoho and then they're on our mailing list. So if we put out a newsletter or information on what we're doing here at the company. They get, uh, they, they, they get to hear about it. So I organize them that way. Uh, aside from that, uh, not, not too much.
0: All right. Right on. Cool. Right on. All right. What's the, uh, what's the most critical component of the due diligence process for fixing and flipping houses?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Well, the, the biggest areas where people get tripped up is they overestimate the ARV mm mm-hmm. Uh, which is the after-repaired value, the, the, the value of the home after it's fixed up, or they underestimate the rehab budget, or they underestimate the other ancillary costs that are involved. So the most important part of due diligence is to nail down those three components. Number one, make sure you're running good comparable sales that actually compare to the property that you're that you're selling, and don't use that one outlier comp as your ARV. So if everybody's selling at three hundred and fifty thousand, but one guy got four hundred, your ARV's not four hundred. <laughs> it's probably three fifty. Yeah. Uh, nailing down that rehab budget. Uh, that comes either from experience or contractor's quotes or a combination of the two that's really important to to get that right because if you don't get it right, you'll feel the pain midway through the project when you realize <laughs> you've reached your budget and you still have half a house to fix up. Yep. Uh, and then finally, the third component of the ancillary costs is you know, talk to the title company and, and, and other vendors that are involved in, in acquiring and reselling property to figure out what those costs are. And don't forget that they're there. This isn't a television flip show where you sell the house for three fifty dollars and you spent one hundred dollars to buy it up and $50,000 to fix it, which means that you made 200000 There's other costs in between those two numbers that need to get subtracted as well. Don't get yeah. tripped up by missing that.
3: Cool. Cool. And uh, I have to plug it here. If people want to go to biggerpockets.com slash calc, you can check out the uh, house flipping calculator that we made. So check it out. Yeah, it'll help you with that. So uh, next question of the fire round. What college degree would best prepare you for or best prepare me for a career in real estate investing? That was the question.
1: Oh, You asked the wrong guy with a high school (laughs) diploma. (laughs) <laughs> really? <laughs> Surprised? Yeah, I am. There you am. go.
3: I am. I think, that's, I, mean, I think that's awesome. It just shows that you don't need to have a college degree to do well in real estate.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think that uh, I love people with college degrees because they make great employees. <laughs> uh, I, <clears throat> not to say that you can't be uh, an entrepreneur. I don't want to offend anybody that has spent a lot of time and money on a college degree uh, because it's uh, – you know, I, I don't think you have to have a college degree to do this business. Now I will say this, I do have a degree, it's a and I have a PhD in the School of Hard Knocks. Yep. Yeah. And I think that my tuition for said degree is probably fairly similar, if not even more, than the tuition that most would pay for a scholastic PhD. So I think that having a real estate education and a finance and investment education is probably very helpful and would have kept me out of a lot of trouble. You know, there was a a point in time where, you know, I, I took some big hits. Fortunately, not with any deals that I had with investors, but in my own personal portfolio, because I always try to do a new strategy on my own before I bring investors in on it. And if I don't know what I'm doing, because that's when you're going to make your biggest mistakes. So I made my mistakes on the way to that PhD uh, in the School of Hard Knocks, and those mistakes cost me millions. And uh, so I think a finance education and an investment education might have prevented me from having to cough that up.
0: By the way, I I love that idea. You know, If you're going to experiment, don't experiment on someone else's dime. Do it on your own.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it it, it goes back to what I said earlier about investors. Investors want to invest with you because you have a track record. Yeah. And so that just because you have a track record of flipping houses doesn't mean that you can go raise money to buy apartment buildings. You know, guys want to know that you're good at doing apartment buildings, too. So anytime I'm in a new strategy, I'll try it on my own before I uh, I go out and raise money for it. And, and if I'm good at it, I'll go raise money. And if I'm not good at it, I move on. So don't expect to find me doing any more hotel development. Uh, <laughs> I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, lost my money, and I, I won't do it again. Nice. Uh, I'll stick to what I'm good at. <laughs>
0: there you go. There you go. Uh, do you think? Uh, do you think a written business plan is needed to be successful?
1: I do. I do. Now, that's kind of a loaded question, Josh, because a written business plan is uh, is thought of in a lot of different ways by people. I mean, you know, there's there's the simple one where you say you've written down your 20 goals and you paste it on the fridge and you sure. know you read them every morning. There's that kind of a that could be called a business plan, but uh, you have to have some kind of. So, so let me look at uh, one of my investment funds, for example. If I'm going to go out and start a private offering to raise money to go buy an apartment building or a, a portfolio of rental homes or whatever the case may be. And, and Josh, I come to you and I say, uh, we're going to go buy this apartment building at 123 Main Street and we'll, we'll probably make you know 200 grand or whatever it is. Would you, you want to invest in it? What are you going to tell me? Yeah, you're, you're going to say, well, geez, you know, uh, you got to show me something. Yeah. You know, let, let me see what that means. So I have to show you a written business plan that shows this is what the income's going to look like and, and everything else. So without some kind of a plan to set the course, you've really got no tool to use to, to sell yourself or your investment. Yeah,
3: good stuff. Good stuff. I like it. All right, let's move on to the end of the show. A section we like to call Lovingly the famous for. All right. The famous four. These are questions we ask every week to guests and uh, we want to know your opinion on them. And I think we've asked you these before, probably, but uh, maybe they've changed. So we're going to do it again. Number one, what is your favorite real estate book?
1: Favorite real estate book. You know, I still think it's probably the art of the deal. It's old Trump book from way back in the day. Uh, I don't have a lot of time to read books. I don't even have a newer one because I just haven't uh, haven't had that, that much time to to jump back into the reading bandwagon. Yeah, that
0: that book, by the way, was was probably one of the books that inspired me to to get into real estate as well. So definitely yeah. a, a good one.
1: Yeah, for sure. Cool.
0: What about business books? What's your uh, and, and, and any? I know you're not reading these days, so you know. Are there any business books? <laughs> business audio, business websites, <laughs> uh, business something.
1: Yeah, uh, well, you know, most of the reading, quite honestly, uh, most of the reading I do lately is uh, is on, on bigger pockets in the forums. Uh, you know, I, I read a lot there uh, to, you know, at the expense of anything else I want to read that kind of stacks up. And I look over at it and go, oh, man, I got to get caught up on, <laughs> you know, all, all these other economic reports here because I've been reading too much bigger pockets. <laughs> uh, never,
0: never too much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Never too much. Yeah. You know, it's, it's been so long. I, I can't even think of the last, uh, great business book I read. I, well, there was one that was kind of interesting. It was called the one minute manager. That was pretty good, but, uh, that's, that's probably the last one I read. Okay. Right on.
0: Right on. What about, uh, hobbies? We know you fly, love to spend time with your wife. What else do you do? Any, anything interesting that you've picked up in the last year? Any, any, uh, any exciting new hobbies?
1: Nah, same old, same old. I just, uh, you know, I like traveling, boring. like going to Maui. Yeah, you know, that's <laughs> about it. Yeah, pretty, pretty boring. You know, it's uh, one, one thing I'm, uh, I've got on my radar that I, you know, I've been working on getting my helicopter pilot's license. So, hmm. right. I, I, nice. I started that and uh, had to take a break from it because I got busy. I, I can't wait to get back on that bandwagon and, and finish that up. And then the other thing I want to do that I've been really excited about is uh, I want to go down to, uh, the, there's a Sean Tucker School of Aerobatics. The guy's a, uh, an aerobatic air show pilot. And go down there and learn how to do loops rolls, snap rolls, and lazy eights, and you know, all that kind of fun stuff, and fly upside down. That's oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. That's very cool.
0: Let us Just know when you do it, man. Yeah, like, we, want, we want video. Josh wants oh, to ride with.
1: <laughs> Not <laughs> a chance in <laughs> hell, dude. Yeah, come on. You can, you can do it. You got to get a never... GoPro for that one.
0: Yeah. Ever, yeah. Actually, not a bad idea. <laughs> All right. Yeah, my, but that's not happening. I'm not going. <laughs>
3: no, you wouldn't. <laughs> right. right. My final question. What do you believe sets apart successful business owners and real estate investors as they're trying to scale their business from those who never scale, they stay small?
1: Oh, wow. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it is just, uh, it, it's the way that that people think and, and their own internal barriers. I mean, you know, I've said before that you can, uh, you can never cross the ocean unless you have the courage to lose sight of the shore. Uh, yeah. and you know, and that means that you have to, you have, yeah, did you to, make that uh,
0: up or did you steal that from somebody?
1: I steal everything, Josh. Come on. I, this, this <laughs> that was is really, real that's, business.
0: that's pretty good, man.
1: This, this is the real estate business. Everything is plagiarism. <laughs> uh, Come on now. It, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, but I think what that what that means to me is that, you know, you have to be able to expand your comfort zone if you're going to grow your comfort zone. And and most people aren't willing to expand their comfort zone. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the, sometimes the worst things that happen to you, which is the reason people fear expanding their comfort zone is something bad will happen. Uh, you know, and I think everything happens for a reason. You know, the worst thing that happens to you is setting you up for a teachable moment that propels you to be higher than you ever imagined. I, I really believe that. I've I've been knocked down, and every time that's happened, I've gotten back up stronger and more successful than before. Uh, it's all part of that growth process and that cycle we talked about earlier about you know going through that, doing it all yourself, all the way to uh you know go, growing a large business all, all that is all part and parcel with that and you have to be willing to accept that risk if you're gonna if you're gonna become successful
3: yeah that's fabulous
0: good. that's great fabulous awesome man well listen i think uh i think your follow up was was uh well worth it i i really do uh where where can awesome. people learn more about you uh
1: probably the best place is uh either on the bigger pockets forums uh or um or through uh, my website which is uh, praxis capital it's uh, it's praxcap.com p r a x c a p.com there's information on there about you know what what our company does and and uh, what I do and background and all that all that good stuff nice cool
0: cool well, very cool Brian listen man thank you so so much for coming back and and maybe just maybe We'll 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 be in touch in a year or two uh, for for number three. <laughs> but or number well, three. Well, can we? Can we? Maybe piece. we should just skip number three and we'll have you for four. I don't know how we can do that because no, 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 you hate, three so, it's you hate three, three so
1: much. You hate three so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't know if that works. I, or you know, you could also maybe have me come speak at a bigger pocket summit. That would oh, be a good idea. All right. I wonder about <laughs> something like that. Maybe I could be the yeah. first one. I don't know. I like. I don't know. I, I, don't know. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure. It really has. We we really do appreciate it. Uh, you guys can find Brian at the website you mentioned. If you've got questions for him at all, hit him up on the on the site, or you can ask on the show notes at biggerpockets.com/slash/show76. And another reminder: you can find Brian's previous show at biggerpockets.com/slash/show3. That's all I got for you. you know, if, you're, uh, if you're not out there making things happen, make sure to do that. Keep up with the latest Bigger Pockets news and information through our newsletter that comes out twice a week. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, G+, and so on. And uh, otherwise, we just want to thank you for being a part of our world and for checking us out each and every week. And uh, we'll, we'll see you next week with Show 77. Thanks so much for listening.
1: See you around.